we're going to start this morning by just first of all just laying some some foundational things and then lord willing looking at the first two verses of this epistle uh you might notice you got a thick packet there this morning we got quite a few verses a lot of those again i'm going to refer to them we might read some all the way through others i'm going to hit the underlined parts and that's just to help you further in your study uh, for even whether you know it or not when you come in and, and you send under verse by verse bible teaching if you know the words being rightly divided and god's word is being used to teach god's word really you're being taught how to study the bible and a lot of people don't realize as we're going through these passages they're learning how to study the bible in its fullness because again we compare scripture with scripture the bible says no scriptures of private interpretation so you don't pluck a scripture out and hold it over that's how you get a lot of false doctrine a lot of false gospels but you look at that verse in the midst of the thought being uh, communicated around it the book itself whether it's an old or new testament you know book and then in the totality of scripture and so you know what when you see all these scriptures and so forth that's not just filler that's not because pastor steve doesn't have good stories and jokes and stuff i could bring that stuff all day long you need god's word is what you need and there's a place you know for those illustrations and so forth but it definitely should be way down on the list we need god's word and so we're getting a double blessing in that we are getting in these books and then also and it's a glorious thing people learn to again study the word of god through being taught god's word verse by verse when it's rightly divided so whenever we want to whenever we want to or when we start a, a new book or when you're looking at a, a book in the bible there's certain things that we need to know that will really help us to understand the context of what is being communicated we want to ask things like who wrote this book where was it written from where were they when they wrote the book what was the date of the book who is the initial audience and then what's the main purpose of the book so i, I just want to take just just a, a couple minutes to hit on that and then we'll expand on a few of these things as then we get into our text so again first peter and then there's second peter and the author of this epistle it's it's pretty easy it's it's peter though though listen you got to be careful with that because there's first timothy and second timothy and who's the author of that it's paul same with titus and so forth so peter is the author of these books he identifies himself as the author in the first verse where he says peter an apostle of jesus christ and we're going to talk a little bit more about peter i got a few pages kind of of notes just kind of an overview of his life and ministry and i think it's important that we spend a little time here in a minute maybe 10 minutes or so just refreshing our memory and so forth about peter's conversion his time with the lord you know what happened after that even in his denial of the lord restoration and so forth and so that helps us a lot in again the study of the book we can go back to peter's life we can compare even the gospel of mark was really more the gospel of peter because mark wrote the book of mark based on peter's account that he shared with mark of the ministry of jesus christ so that's invaluable for us to know this was written from we read in first peter 5 13 from babylon where it says she who is in babylon elect together with you greet you and so does mark my son now a couple thoughts on this 
Some believe that this is maybe a reference to literal Babylon by the Euphrates River in modern-day Iran. There's others that believe this is a reference to Rome because in the book of Revelation, there is reference to Babylon that lines up with Rome where it talks about a city on seven hills and so forth, as well as the fact that this book was written most agree about 35 years after the church was birthed in a time when Caesar Nero greatly persecuted the Christians. And we're going to talk more about this here in a little bit. That was between 64 and 67 AD. And we know that because there's just so much of a historical record of it. It's, it's, it's referred to not directly, but it's referred to in general in the scriptures. And this was a time, again, of, of great hardship on the church, especially in Rome, because Nero burnt Rome down and then he needed a scapegoat, so he said those Christians did it. A lot, many believe that this was the time when Paul was martyred, that at the beginning of this he was beheaded, and that at the end of it, as the Lord prophesied, Peter died in the like manner that Jesus did. He was crucified, but it was upside down. And so, again, he speaks of trials and tribulations in this book. And let me tell you, he's not referring to hangnails. He's referring to Christians, uh, when they were persecuting them, they would take animal skins and they would wrap Christians in them and they would let dogs attack them and kill them. And this all happened in, in, a, in a center where we get the word circus, where the modern-day Vatican is today. They would take others and they would burn them Christians throughout the night. These people weren't denying their faith. They were true believers in the Lord. Others were crucified. This was a horrendous, horrendous persecution, really beyond levels that, that we understand. This is similar to some of the things we saw with ISIS, you know, a numbers, number of years back. And sometimes those things are still being reported. Some of these things going on in, in, in these African nations that Islam is taking over where they're crucifying people and beheading people even to this day and so that that was the time and and the setting and the audience was to the church that had been dispersed through nero's persecution as he re, as it says there in verse one to the pilgrims of the dispersion in pontus galatia cappadocia asia and bithina bithnina these, the, and these were the churches in Asia Minor that had been planted by Paul. And Peter refers to Paul's letters in this epistle, affirming them as scripture. And I think that was probably in part because the church that had been scattered had settled in those churches. And it was most likely Peter following up saying, hey, look at these letters that you're getting from the man God used to plant these churches. This is scripture. So you need to heed all of these words. We also know, look at, there's a secondary audience, and that's, that's us. All of God's word is written for his people. Notice uh, Psalm 102.18, speaking of God's word, it says, This will be written for the generation to come, to a people yet to be created, my pray, uh, the, the people yet to be created may praise the Lord. And then 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all of scripture is 
first and foremost, for God's people. This is God's love letter to us. It is his instruction for us. It is to give us, again, doctrine, so teaching what we believe. It's rooted in Scripture. It is for reproof and correction, again, instruction. And then beyond that, again, we read it's for, for equipping us for the work of the ministry, edification, uh, so on and so forth. God's word is for us. But knowing who the initial audience was, was again, really helps us in understanding. So, you know, when he's talking about a specific issue or so forth, we can look at that instruction in light of what was going on in those people, the culture, and so forth. Uh, so many verses that, again, reinforce this. We've been in the book of Joshua on Wednesday nights, and a few weeks back we looked at chapter 8, where God's word was read to the people. Moses's books that had been written, the first five books, and it says it was written... All of it was written for the people and it was read to all the assembly, including the women, the children, as well as the stranger. And it says they read all the blessings as well as the cursings. They read all of it. They, they didn't say, okay, well, God needs a PR man here because these cursings are offended. So we're going to remove those because we want to be sensitive to people's feelings. No, they didn't do that. They read all of God's word. Because let me tell you, the rebukes and so forth, and even in Israel, those cursings where God said, hey, if you, if you drift from me, if you want to go worship idols, there's going to be curses here. They needed to know that so they'd have a fear of God to want to obey the Lord, to walk in the fullness of what God has for us. Listen, corrections given to us from God's word. You know, the things that God calls sin and tells us to repent and refrain from, that's not because God's not loving that's not God wanting to ruin your good time. Those things bring death. God wants us to be abounding in life and life abundantly found, first of all, in faith in Jesus Christ, then in a people growing in the Lord, bringing our struggles before him, absolutely. Praise God, he is our Abba Father and we can bring them before him and we can, you know, we, we can get at his feet and he wants to help and aid us. But being a people as well, saying, I want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, that is where life is found. And indeed it is. In fact, we'll see in the text that our salvation is in part unto obedience to obey the Lord. As well as God's word, though, is written for the unbeliever. As Jesus said concerning the word in John 20, 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so we also, as believers, we get deeper rooted in God's word so that we can take God's word, again, not only to build up one another and build ourselves up in reading it, but we would take God's word out to the world. I had an interesting conversation with a, a lady yesterday who, um, you know, I, 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 I did a memorial service and shared the gospel and she felt like here was her duty to come up and correct me afterwards and explain to me that we're all actually God. And uh, it's called New Thought. And um, you know what? What she got back from me wasn't, oh, well, that's nice, and a kumbaya moment, but she got the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she's quoting Ernest Holmes, a cult leader who died without faith in Jesus Christ, and I brought her back to the scriptures, especially when she said, well, Jesus is one of the masters. And I'll go, well, have you read the gospel? And just share the simplicity of John three sixteen, 
And that, you know what, we're sinners. And she called sin mistakes. And I said, you're giving people way too much credit. Yes, we make mistakes, but we are sinners. God is holy. You're showing a lack of reverence to God by even saying you are God. But again, the scripture was given to her and she was offended and left to the other room and so forth. I shared with, well, I shared with her in love in a very calm and collective way. But again, my prayer has been that's resonated in her heart. And guess what? I was glad she was offended because she soon, this sounds bad, but look at, this is an old woman soon for the grave and she needs to repent. And uh, I told her that. So <laughs> in a loving way, because it's true. I mean, just to go along with that. And then we're here again, praise God, celebrating a man who died at 90, but in with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just thought, oh my goodness, you need to get saved. You need to get born again. I need to share the scripture with you. I'm not loving you if I just go along first to have kind of a polite spiritual moment. You need to hear the, the, the word of truth. And again, I rejoice that it, you know, I'm, I'm out of, you know, go back over to the, the snack table or whatever. You need to get saved and we got to share the scriptures. Again, the gospel, the word of God is the power of God unto salvation. And God is, God's word is written for these things. And then the main purpose, listen, of this epistle is to encourage and instruct and exhort these churches that in the midst of this great persecution to rest in the living hope found in Jesus Christ. Notice 1 Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. And so in the midst of this great persecution, he's encouraging them, rest in the living hope of Jesus Christ. He's gonna see you through this. He's with you in the midst of all of these trials. And it's the main message in this epistle, along with all kinds of just practical instruction and guidance and so forth. All these things are applicable to us. Let's read the first two verses together in its fullness. And then we'll go a little deeper into this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. So again, Peter wrote this book as the Holy Spirit moved upon him. We saw the time most likely that he wrote the book was right in the midst of that great persecution. Again, about 35 years or so after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was birthed. Now, I don't want to take a whole lot of time with this, but I think it's important that we take just a little bit of time and go back and, you know, look at some highlights in Peter's life up to this point and even, even beyond it and considering even the way that he passed and so forth. We, you know, Peter is, is mentioned so much in the Gospels. You could say absolutely he is a you know, Jesus is the star of the book, and you could say, uh, you know, not comparing Peter with Jesus, but you could say he's like a supporting actor, a co-star, so to, so, so to speak. Him, James, John, certain, certain disciples, they're, they're talked about a whole lot more. And probably one of the reasons is because Peter was so, so quick to speak and so quick to act and so forth. Really, people have called him, in many ways, the disciple of first. 
because he's the first to do so many different things. Well, we read of his conversion there in Luke chapter 5. We know that Peter was a fisherman. They'd fished all night and caught nothing. And Jesus is there in the Sea of Galilee. And he comes up and he uses Peter's boat's boat because the crowd was pressing in on him. He used the boat to get a little out from the crowd to preach the word of God to them. And then it says when he was finished speaking, he told Peter to go back into the boat and let down his net. And Peter said, we've fished all night and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll do that. So obviously the word that was taught stirred his heart to listen to this teacher who was a carpenter tell a fisherman what to do and how to fish. And listen, sometimes the Lord just gives us practical things that we need to listen to. It says that he went out through the net and that it was so full, it took more than one man to get the net back there to the shore. But when that happened, Simon Peter fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Look, at this was more than just a haul of fish that came up. God used this to, you know, take away whatever was still remaining there to show him this is the Messiah. This is the one prophesied about in the scriptures because he declared, you're Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's really a picture of salvation. I am a sinner, you are Lord. I, I, am, I am not worthy. You know, it's that first step in salvation. And praise God, again, the people were astonished. And then it says, Jesus said to Simon, this was before he changed his name to Peter or Pebble. He said, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. So when he had uh, brought their boats to land, notice they forsook all and followed him. He said, you've been a fisher of fish. Now you're gonna be a fisher of men, signifying that he would be an evangelist one that would spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I love it. He just leaves his business behind to follow the Lord. Now look at when the Lord calls us, very rarely is it forsake your business right now and follow me, but it's following me and saying, you know what, honor me in your business and honor me in everything. And it's that picture, Jesus is my Lord. Notice it doesn't say that he said, okay, save me. Now I'm gonna go back to my own thing save me. I want to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we see Peter so many times in the scripture because so often he's the first to step out or speak up. Oftentimes with that, he was also often the first to, see, to sink or misspeak. And you just see this pattern with him. You know, you look at the picture there in Matthew 14, where the Lord sends the disciples off first in the boat so he can go spend time in prayer and the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, which is really a lake, but, it's, it, but it, it can be subjected to great waves and storms and so forth that are very ocean-like. We know a great storm took place there in the sea and the disciples, you know what, they began to get worried. And these are men that grew up on this sea fishing. And then in the middle of the night, they see Jesus walking to them on the water and they start screaming, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And the Lord said to them, excuse me, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Aren't those not good words? Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And we can rest in those words in Christ as followers of the Lord. And then Peter, again, so often the first to speak said, Lord, if it's you, command me to step out of the boat and I'll walk on water. And the Lord commanded him. He said, come. 
And Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on water to Jesus. And listen, this, was a, this wasn't in a shallow place there in the lake where, well, actually, there was a little bit of land there that he walked on. You know, these guys that try to explain away all the miracles of the Bible. And some people are Christians that do that. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. This is a miracle. God has the right to invade time and space. And, you know, he is not subjected to, you know, the, the laws of nature that we're familiar with. Peter began to walk on the water, but as soon as he got his eyes off the Lord and he looked at the storm, he began to sink. Boy, reminded to us, right? The storms of life, they come. You get your eyes on Jesus. There's so much strength found in that. There's so much encouragement found in that. There's hope found in that. There's direction. But we get our eyes off Jesus and we begin to sink. And I just can't encourage you enough. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe this morning you've been in sink mode and, and you see the simplicity of that reminder. Get your eyes on Jesus. Remember who your God is. Give him thanks and glory and honor and praise. Well, he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And the Lord didn't say, you're on your own. But instead, we know that the Lord caught his hand, brought him back into the boat. It says, then those that were in the boat began to worship him, saying, truly, you're the son of God. Now, listen also with Peter. We know there were times when he thought he, it was his duty to correct the Lord. We read that the Lord, as they began to draw near to the time that he would die on the cross, the Lord began to get more specific with the disciples that they'd go to Jerusalem, he'd be betrayed, that absolutely he'd be handed over to the hands of the Jews, to the Romans, that they would crucify him. But on the third day, he would resurrect from the grave. And it seems like they weren't hearing that in part, I'll resurrect from the grave. And as he shared this, we know at one point there, it's recorded in Matthew 16, 21 and 22, it says, then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. You don't want to do that. That's a bad move. It says, he says, he said to the Lord, far be it from you, Lord, that this should happen to you. Why would he say that? Listen again, Peter was a man of God, but at this point he was a man that still had a temporary mindset. And he was thinking the Messiah was coming to overthrow Rome so that we could establish God's kingdom right now. The Lord, though, came to overthrow sin to establish an eternal heavenly kingdom. It says that he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Boy, can you imagine hearing that rebuke from the Lord? Get behind me, Satan. You're, not mind You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, from there, you would learn, you would think maybe Peter would learn to hold his tongue a bit, but uh, it, that would take some more time. We can, again, relate to Peter, can we not? Because we know there in the, uh, in the upper room, uh, you know, at, the, at that last supper, the Lord talked about them denying him that it would be fulfillment of scripture. The shepherd would be scattered, uh, struck, and the sheep would be scattered. And Peter insisted, I will not deny you, Lord. Even if I have to, d d to die with you, uh, I'll, I'll stand with you. And the Lord said, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. But praise God, the Lord said, I've prayed for you. Aren't you glad for that? In the midst of all of it, because let me tell you, we have something in common, many things in common with Simon Peter. Oftentimes, again, we speak when we shouldn't. But I'll tell you the truth as well. Satan wants to sift all of us like wheat. But the Lord Jesus Christ is making intercession for us 
Praise God, the Lord also said, look it, you're going to return to me. And when you do, you're going to strengthen your brother. And, and, and so we know how the account unfolds. We know that Peter would deny the Lord as the Lord prophesied that he would. But praise God, God's faithful when we're faithless. Because the Lord would make it a point to specifically seek out Simon Peter after his resurrection. And to restore him, you know, to... to to, to, to restore his mind to the peace of relationship found with God by, by grace through faith in him. Really to show Peter, look at the emphasis is on Jesus, not Peter. And then also to restore him to ministry, telling him, go feed my sheep, tend to my lambs and so forth. And he did that in part, even in the writing of these epistles. And then interestingly, the Lord told him there in verse 18 of of John 21, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you, when, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying what death he would, uh, by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. And again, this is after the Lord's resurrection. And many historians believe that this death that the Lord referred to happened at the end of Nero's persecution. Many believe it started again with Paul being beheaded who was in Rome and it ended with Peter being crucified upside down as the Lord prophesied. We don't know that for sure. One thing we do know though from scripture and history and listen, we don't confirm scripture by history. We confirm history by scripture. That's the way it's supposed to be done. There was a tremendous persecution. But again, God was using it for great, great good. Because notice even what it says here, you're gonna glorify me in your death. And I'll tell you, Rome, when they saw these Christians being burned and crucified and being given over to the dogs, it made such an impression on these people that this is a real faith. These people are willing to die for this faith. And it wouldn't be long before, you know, after that, 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 that even more revival would, would break out in Rome and, and in those first three centuries, just more and more and more would forsake those gods and become followers of Jesus Christ. We need such a movement today indeed. We also know that Peter would be the first to preach on Pentecost. He'd preach the gospel and they'd cried out, what do we need to do to be saved? Repent, be baptized, you know, believe in Jesus Christ. He'd be the first to preach to the Gentiles and beautifully preach the gospel to them. And then he says, basically, whoever believes will receive remission of sin. Peter didn't even give an altar call and the Holy Spirit fell upon him because at those words, they were like, we, we believe in their hearts. We believe and God met them where they were at. Boy, what a, what a, what a, phenom what a privilege, you know. Interesting that even after all these things, though, and it just shows how we're a work in progress, Paul would have to rebuke Peter because Peter would start getting away from grace and start putting an emphasis on works in order to not, you know, be at odds with the Jews who were working through that the law shows us we're sinners, that we need Jesus. It's not Jesus and keeping the law to save us. He'd be rebuked by Paul in Galatians 2, but I think it just really shows what type of man he was, his humility, and that in 2 Peter, again, he would, he would commend Paul's letters as scripture. And you can read about that. I don't got time to read it, but in 2 Peter 3, 14 through 16. 
And that also, again, kind of plays into the thought that Paul was beheaded at the beginning of this persecution and perhaps Peter was crucified at the end of it. But I'll tell you, God was glorified in all of it. Peter as well, again, as he says here, was an apostle. An apostle in the sense of the office of apostle, which has ceased. Look, I don't, we, we don't believe the sign gifts have ceased, those to be used orderly. But this office ceased in that the requirement of these things was one that walked with Jesus and one that was a witness to his resurrection, his resurrection and see him physically resurrected. And we get those requirements there in Acts chapter one. And so Peter was of the office of apostle. I always get leery when someone shows up and hey, apostle so-and-so like, bro, you're giving yourself that title. Don't do that. There's apostles in that were sent out, but the office of apostle is defined in Acts, again, as those that walk with Jesus and were witnesses to his resurrection. It's a dangerous, look at, how about I'm a sinner saved by grace? This is not about the best title that we can give ourselves. Um, and again, we know Paul got that title because he absolutely saw the Lord's resurrection. And then we read of even Paul spending time with the Lord alone. And, and it seems like almost in a, in a manner of, us, you know, as we commune together and so forth. A bit of a mystery there, but we read of it in Scripture. Then the last thing about Peter, and then we're, we're going to move here to the pilgrims and then into verse 2. One thing we do know for sure, he's not the first pope. I hate to burst bubbles here this morning, but again, this idea that the pope started with uh, Peter and they're a vicar or representative of Jesus Christ on earth. The Bible says, call no man your father. Look, there's only one intercessor that we need, and it's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And our role should always be to point people to Jesus Christ. Look, he's not too busy. He, he knows the number of hairs on your head. You can bring every burden before him. He's God Almighty. And I'll tell you, the passage often used to, that's twisted to make this idea that the church is built on men and the traditions of men versus being built on Jesus Christ and the scriptures. It's found in Matthew 16. And I'm looking forward to our trip to Israel because we go to Caesarea Philippi. It's kind of out of the way, but the Lord brought his disciples. And it's a place where there's a huge, basically rock mountain with all these various temples that are carved in the side of it. And the Lord took them up there to ask them who do men say that he is. And it says, some said, John the Baptist, Elijah, others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And that's really the most important question. Who do I say Jesus is? Is he my Lord? Is he Savior? That's the most important question of our life. And again, notice verse 16. Here he is again, the first to speak. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And notice Jesus said, um, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, or Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now notice, he changes his name to Peter here, which means Petros or pebble. It means pebble. And he says, on this rock or Petra, and that's a massive mountain of a rock, I'll build my church. So he says, you're pebble, and on this rock, well, what was the rock, the declaration, that you are the Christ, the son of living God. Jesus is the rock. And I'll tell you the gates of hell, and it's interesting there at Caesarea Philippi, 
there's a natural spring where the sacrifices to these demon gods would be made and they would use that water to wash the blood away it was called the gates of hell and so you talk about illustrations around the gates of hell on this rock and let me ask you this morning are you the rock of jesus christ is he your lord and savior can you say amen to that the gates of hell will not prevail against you or the church of jesus christ praise god and listen the church isn't this building it's those with faith in the lord now he says next to the pilgrims of the dispersion and he very, mentions these various specific areas there in asia minor king james says to the strangers scattered and so they're pilgrims or strangers in many aspects they were not strangers to peter they're brothers and sisters to peter some no doubt that he knew specifically others he just knew of others he didn't know but as as again faith in the lord jesus christ there's a unity or a kononia that that's really universal where if you're a real believer in Christ and you can meet someone on, on, you know, at the other end of the world and there's an instant connection there through the spirit of God and through sound doctrine and scripture that we're sinners, he's our savior, he's coming soon, he is our hope. So listen, they weren't strangers to Peter, they weren't strangers to the Lord, but they were strangers to the world. They were pilgrims in the sense that they were passing through. The Bible calls us sojourners. We have dual citizenship. We're citizens here. We're more so citizens in heaven. And this is our temporary home. So in that sense, we are passing through. And this has been the case throughout scripture for those with faith in the Lord. Speaking of Old Testament saints, in Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says, these died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embracing them, uh, embrace them and confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So speaking of the likes of a Noah and an Abraham and a Joseph, they were strangers. They were passing through. These men in this time, these women, they were strangers as well as followers of the Lord. They, they didn't pay homage to Caesar. They wouldn't call Nero God. They didn't worship those pagans. They didn't participate in temple prostitution they were followers of the lord and it made them strangers and as followers of god they indeed were pilgrims passing through this is in our home and then absolutely we're called to be in that same you know what uh places they were in first peter 2 9 and we'll get to this lord willing down the road he says you're a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and his own special, or that word means peculiar, people that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I think sometimes we'll, we'll look at, well, I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm just different from everyone as a follower of the Lord. And it's hard because I feel like I'm a fish going upstream. And look at if you're a follower of Christ, you are. We, we don't fit in and we shouldn't. But I love how Peter puts the order here. He doesn't say, man, you guys are peculiar, but he starts with your chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're God's special people. In that, that makes you a peculiar people to the world. So if you get discouraged at times because you're peculiar, because you think different as a follower of the Lord, and boy, it seems there's more and more separation between those who really want to follow Jesus and those who aren't, and those that want to follow 
a different Jesus according to their feelings and own doctrine. But listen, be encouraged in it. You're a royal priesthood. You absolutely are a, 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 a chosen generation. You're God's special person as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's an encouragement in not always really fitting in in the world, but you know what? But he's my Lord and Savior and my God and better have the approval of God all day long than the whole world applauding you. Listen, they were also though strangers to the things of the world. Not in that they didn't partake of them before Christ. Look, they were very familiar with the things of the world before they came to the Lord. But once we come to Christ, we're called to abound in the things of God, not to be naive concerning the world, but we're not to be a part of it. Look, those things should become more and more strange to us or foreign to us that we once walked in as we walk and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice Romans 16, 19, he says, but I, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Or 1 Corinthians 14, 20, he says, do not be children in understanding, however, and malice be based, but in understanding be mature. Or 1 Timothy 5, 21, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And boy, we hear about evil abounding all around us. We see it abounding all around us. And again, it's not to be naive. Uh, we need to understand the times. But as far as participating in those things, these things should be coming strange and foreign to us. That's what I used to do. This is what I do now. I walk with the Lord now. I don't want to bring these things. I don't want to familiarize myself with these things through participating and partaking of them. Even notice 1 Peter 2.11. Peter says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evil doers, see, we see the separation again, that they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. So he says, Look it, you shouldn't look like them. They should see you're distinctively different. And they're going to mock you in that and at times make fun of you and exclude you, but that's okay. Continue on following the Lord in the hopes that in the day of the visitation or at the second coming of Jesus Christ, in part through your witness, they have come to faith in Jesus Christ and they'll glorify God in that day. And so again, it's not just about us. Sometimes again, we long more to be accepted by the world than see the world get saved. And one of the avenues or one of the catalysts that God uses to bring people to himself, again, they're saved through the gospel, but he uses a catalyst of us looking different than the world to be light and salt, that people would be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ through our lives, that they would get born again and would not spend an eternity in hell, but spend an eternity with God in glory. And that should encourage us when we're feeling like a stranger. Maybe you've been feeling like a stranger in the office. Like, man, I, I just, I feel like, you know what, a, a, a square peg and a bunch of round holes. Okay, in fact, we'll say they're the squares and we're a, we're a triangle or a round that, that's bigger than the square that I can't fit in. You know what, I just don't feel like I fit in. Look, that's probably a good sign that you're shining bright for the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, they were also... Uh, as followers of, of the Lord, again, they didn't fit in 
and, and that made it easy for Nero to blame them. Now, at this point, the Jews and Christians were still kind of a mixed bag. Rome looked at the Christians as just another sect of Judaism, though the Jews were persecuting the Christians and really didn't count them as such. But again, from Rome's view, they were the same. When Nero burnt down Rome, again, he needed a scapegoat, and there were way too many Jews to say it's all those Jews. So again, probably with the knowledge that the Jews didn't like the Christians, these Jews that had not become Christians, it became easy for him to again blame them. And that even brought more separation to the Christians, not only from Rome, but even from Jews that were following the old covenant versus Christ, who is the fulfillment of the old covenant. And again, I referred to some of the things that went on. If you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, there's even a even far broader detailed account. These things are recorded by valid historians that we find their history holding up being accurate and so forth but you need to know ultimately this wasn't driven by Nero it was driven by the spirit behind him this was being driven by Satan himself as the scripture says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but powers and principalities and so forth and then remember in this epistle Peter tells him look at be sober and vigilant your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There was a spirit behind all of that. And see, we're separated and we're pilgrims. Again, it should be in our speech and our actions and so forth, but more so as followers of the Lord, we have the Holy Spirit of God and this world's under the sway of the wicked one. And let me tell you, those things clash. Those things do not go together. And oftentimes as a result of that, there's even extra persecution that's put on the church that most of the time goes ignored even by the secular powers that be. Look, at with all the upheaval in the world, there is no group in the world that is persecuted like followers of Jesus Christ. There's not even a close second. I mean, there's people this morning around this world, across this world that, that are in prison, that are being martyred, that are losing their lives. You see, again, a, a, a great uprising against the things of Christ in this nation as, as we have become a post-Christian nation, without a doubt. There, there is some Christian, you know what, truce in our founding, and, and some of those forefathers were followers of the Lord, and we have a, a rich Christian heritage and so forth, but we're way past that. We need to be praying for repentance and revival in our land, and it really needs to start in the body of Christ itself. And we've seen increase of, of persecution. Look at, I, I don't care how you want to look at it. It's a persecution when during COVID, Home Depot's, you know, busting out there because everyone's spending their Trump and Biden checks on new fences and stuff. And, you know, what I'm going to remodel my home. Meanwhile, you can't meet at church. Porn shops are open. Abortion clinics are open. Bath houses are open in San Francisco, but you can't come together and have church. Make no mistake, there was an effort in that to come against the church. And sadly, there's many churches that have not even recovered at all. And I think that was probably in part because they took government money, number one. They signed up with the government in doing that. I, I went on and on and on about that way back then. I ran it and ran it. Do not do that. Trust in the Lord. There's fine print in this. You're coming a church of the government and doing that. And also, because again, they bent knee to so many of these things that that went against scripture. 
And, you know, I, I think I, 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 there is a, you know, kind of an element that said, we're going to teach the word, though. We're going to push back that, that God, God's blessed immensely. But make no mistake, that was an effort to come against the church. Especially when it moved to, you can't, you can't sing anymore. Let me tell you, the devil hates it when we worship God. You know? Again, and, and no science behind any of that stuff. Just ridiculous. I'll stop there. So the beautiful thing through all of this, though, there's persecution here. But listen, we're, we prevail in Christ. We prevail even in the persecution because I've seen so much shaping and molding. I've seen... I've seen in our own fellowship such just a, 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 a broadening, and we got a long way to go, of, of, of maturing, of, of sobering, even in the things in the last few years. It, I'll tell you by far, it's been the most enjoyable I've, time I've ever had as a pastor. And, and so it's just glorious because you see God in the midst of the trial. But notice Acts 14, 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is talking about the brothers. They went through the churches, strengthening them, exhorting them to continue the faith, saying, we must through many tribulations. Notice we'll go through many tribulations, but notice we'll enter the kingdom of God. That's where we're going. Now, again, look at, I get leery it's a leery thing when we're get, when when you see a, 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 a you know what a celebrity Christian or a, an element that calls itself Christian being embraced by the world. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I'll just say this: Jesus said in John fifteen eighteen, "If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you." So boy, that's good company, right? He says, "If you were of this world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world." hate you. And it's problem. Again, there's going to be people drawn. We're, a, we're an aroma of death to some, an aroma of life to others that are being drawn to the Lord and, and, and so forth. But, but it's problematic if everywhere we go, we're completely embraced and celebrated by the world. Because the Lord said, the world hates me. So if the world hates Jesus, but boy, the, the, the world just is, is love and refuge church and the message and you know what everyone at the mormon service is just plotting and so forth i'm probably saying hey y'all you're all gods and you're going to heaven no worrying about anything and the boy the world just stands up but it's when hey y'all sinners you need to repent or you go to hell boo boo get him out of here you know hook him out get this guy out of here but look at one is a message of death it's a lie the other is a message of life and love god died for you these aren't mistakes, y'all. We are sinners. He's God. Repent and call on him. And praise God again. Uh, people get saved. People get saved when the truth is proclaimed. But if we're being celebrated and, and, and so forth, that's why I always cringe when, when there's some pastor on Oprah's couch and they're just getting along gloriously and so forth. Like, th th this dude's probably not even saved with this stuff he's peddling. And, and you know what? Because this is someone that, that worships herself as God, a complete new ager. Now, praise God, if an opportunity is there, someone goes on and actually preaches the gospel, they, they, they probably won't be back to the couch. But praise God for the one time, better a one and done and preach Jesus than, you know what, a 10-session a, a, a series where you're damning people to hell and agreeing, well, we're all good, you know, and so forth. No, we all need Jesus is the case. Look at lastly in this, they were dispersed, they were scattered, but they weren't forsaken. Jesus said, I'm with you always to the end of the age, amen. 
And then listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. The excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Hear this. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our body. Verse 2. He said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. So we're saved to obey the Lord and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Elect. Now listen, this word elect actually not in the Greek, but it's implied in the Greek. So in the effort to bring, again, the Greek into English, it's implied in the word foreknowledge. Elect means chosen, elected, or a favorite. So we're elected, we're chosen by God according to his foreknowledge. Nothing surprises God. God wasn't surprised on that day you finally called on his name and repented. It wasn't like heaven, the walls of heaven just fell over. We can't believe it. God knew you were going to do that. Nothing's a mystery to God. He knows all things. His foreknowledge is full. Again, nothing surprises him. So the elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. The question that always comes up, who did he elect and who did he not elect? And am I elect or am I not elect? Look at his foreknowledge of the elect was, and again, the only criterion, the only measuring stick that we have here on earth on who's elect and who's not elect is whoever calls on Jesus, we know they're elect. And you cannot find any other measuring stick in the word. I'm a sinner. Jesus saved me. Be my Lord. As I say so often, if you're elect, you'll call on the name of the Lord. It's not a surprise to God. And if you call on the name of the Lord, you're elect. If we're just going to go by scripture. Now we start bringing in the writings of men and so forth. Look, at sometimes those are good and sometimes they bring in confusion. I want to look at scripture. And who are those that are elect? And what's the measuring stick of he's elect and he's not elect? The scripture says, if we call upon the Lord, we're elect. It's simple as John 3, 16. For God so loved the world in the context of loving the world. It's not the elect, but he loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That notice, isn't this awesome? Whoever, no partiality, whoever believes in him <clears throat> shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the, but but that the world through him might be saved. And then notice, he who believes in him is not condemned. They're elect according to the foreknowledge of God. He knew they would believe before they even believed. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So if you're elect, you'll call on the name of the Lord. If you call on the name of the Lord, you're elect. Some people get mad when I say that because like, oh, we want a deeper argument. Bro, I want to just stick to the simplicity of scripture. And I also want to be in a place of going, I don't know who is according to the foreknowledge of God, so I'm going to go preach Jesus to everyone out there in the hopes that everyone will call upon his name. I also know this, there will be no one in hell that will be able to blame God that they're there. Hell was created according to Jesus for the devil and his angels, not for men. I know Cain and Abel both heard the same gospel. The two thieves on the cross both of Isaac's sons. 
Last week we read in Ezekiel 33, 11, God saying, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O Israel? I know we read in 2 Timothy 2, 2, 1 through 5, that we're to pray for all men. And then it says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that he convicts all the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. John 16, 7 and 8. And then we read the Lord said there in Matthew 6, or 20, 16, that many are called, but few are chosen. He calls and he calls and he calls. Few are chosen. And again, what's the criterion of chosen and elect in the scripture? It's so clear. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord, we know that they're chosen. Whoever doesn't, they're not. Because how do we get entrance into heaven? It's calling on Jesus Christ. That's the only way. It's through faith in him. Now listen, it's simple, but it's so deep. There's a huge mystery in all of it. And I know this, that none of us on our own sought God, but God sought us out. And so what keeps men from calling on his name? It seems clear in scripture, they want to embrace their sin over Christ. Jesus says in John 3, 19, this is condemnation. Light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And then in Romans 1, 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men, notice, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So the knowledge of God is manifest in them and shown to them. The light of Christ is before them, but instead of coming to him, they run to the darkness and they suppress the truth. There is no God. We came from apes. There is no God. We came from apes. Utter nonsense. Your mom is not an ape and her mom is not an ape and her mom is not an ape. Keep going back. You'll come to Adam and Eve. That's observable science, by the way, as well. I believe in science, real science or hogwash that boys can pretend they're girls and we call it science. I'm about to rant and I'll stop. <laughs> we'll see how far we get here. Sanctification of the spirit or made holy by the spirit. Look, when we put faith in Jesus Christ, we were baptized spiritually first and foremost by the spirit of God into the body of Christ. We were washed. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, what bad news. But what good news follows? And such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And notice, and by the spirit of our God. That first baptism is a washing of the Holy Spirit that happens when we get saved and we're brought into the body of Christ. Water baptism is the outward proclamation of it. And then we're being sanctified practically day in and day out. The Bible says that the inward man is being renewed day by day, a process. We're hopefully practically we're coming more like the Lord. And so elect according to the foreknowledge of God and sanctification of the Spirit. Notice, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. We're not saved to go back to live the way that we live. We're saved to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, life's found in that. Again, we read we're saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2.8, not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We're as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And let me tell you, and other verses here on this, verses and examples of, of getting saved and then moving forward in the Lord away from the old. That's, hear this this morning, that's not a bummer. Joy is found in obeying God. I want to shout it from the mountaintops. Yes, we need God's help in obeying Him. We need His word renewing our mind. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need His long-suffering to be patient with us as we try to learn and walk in these different areas. And He is all of that. But make no mistake, joy and life and peace is found in obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. That comes when we abide in Christ. So many verses, they're there in your notes and examples of the church, even in the midst of trials, abounding in great joy because they were walking with Jesus. I think one of the biggest lies that has infiltrated the church is that Jesus saves you. Now let's fudge the book so you can have an element of sin so you can be happy. That's a lie. Joy is found in following the Lord. Yes, at times it's difficult. Yes, you're carrying that cross. At times the soul is battling the flesh and the flesh is roaring saying, appease me. You know what I'm talking about? And boy, when you appease that flesh, it's pleasurable for a moment. Does that that honey in your mouth turn to gravel in your gut? And then you see the, the effects of it around you. Oh, Lord, help us. Grant us grace to walk in obedience to you. Can we say amen? amen? Sprinkling of the blood of Christ. Look at it again. Positionally through, and, and I won't read it, but 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19 talks about we haven't been redeemed by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the lamb. We're seen through the life of Christ, the life of Jesus as absolutely washed. The Bible speaks in Hebrews in few, two places, Hebrews 9, 14 and 10, 22, of having our conscience washed. I had someone tell me recently, well, you got to forgive yourself first. No, God's got to forgive me. Because <laughs> how can I forgive myself if my sins are still on God's books? Those sins are there. But when I come to Christ, he separates my sin as far as the east is from the west. And now I can say, I am forgiven because of the shed blood of the Lord. Again, emphasis upon God. And then I can recognize, yes, that's what I was, but this is what I am. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And also washed by the blood of Jesus of our shame. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Thank you, Lord. Interesting in the, this verse here, we see the Father, Son, we see the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And then he says to them, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Interesting, grace was the Gentile greeting. Shalom or peace is the Jewish greeting. We need both of those. And we need grace first if we're ever gonna have peace. If you don't have grace, you're never gonna have peace. It's a false grace or a false peace. We obtain grace through faith in Jesus. Then we get peace with God knowing I'm in Jesus. And then praise God. He says, let these things be multiplied. God wants to lavish more grace and peace on us through abiding in him. And I say, thank you, Lord. I receive it. Pour it out. Can we say amen to that? Let's stand up and we'll close in prayer and worship of God. Well, Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We praise you. We thank you that you're so good to us, God. Lord, we thank you for 
making that way of salvation for us. Thank you for the assurance of our salvation through you and you alone, God. I thank you that you have perfect foreknowledge, God. I think you even in creating man, you knew that you'd go to that cross and you did and you did so willingly, Lord. I thank you that you sought us in the darkness, that you brought us into the light, that you're our Lord and our Savior. Lord, let us abound and grow in you, God. We thank you for this epistle we started. We just pray that it will be an awesome study, uh, the Lord willing, in the days to come. And listen, if you're here and you haven't called upon Jesus, today's the day of salvation. You've heard some bad news here this morning, but you've heard the good news. The good news that Jesus died for your sins. He rose from the grave and defeated the wages of our sin, death. And that whoever, whoever believes in him will be saved. And that's trusting him to be your savior and to be your Lord, to be the God of your life. It means, Lord, I, I am ready to, to follow you. Have you called on him if you haven't? Call on him now. Ask him to be your Lord, to be your Savior. He will meet you where you are at. Let's worship the Lord as we close here.
Amen. Well, I pray God will just richly bless you and shine his face on you. Encourage you, man. Encourage others. And let's build up one another. And, and you know, this part of church is ending, but church goes on and on and on and on. So, again, God bless you in the Lord Jesus Christ.